From CITI Program, I'm Darren Gaddis, and this is On Campus. Today, what are factors which contribute to student mental health? The role student health services plays in a student's mental health, and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted healthcare and mental health. I spoke with Sarah Lipson, an assistant professor at the Boston University School of Public Health and the principal investigator of the Healthy Minds Network. Her research focuses on understanding and addressing mental health in higher education and has been funded by the National Institute of Mental Health and WT Grant Foundation, among others. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to provide legal advice or guidance. You should consult with your organization's attorneys if you have questions or concerns about relevant laws and regulations discussed in this podcast. Additionally, the views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenter and do not represent the views of their employer. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Sarah, to get us started today, when you think about student mental health, what are some factors that can contribute to the overall state of student mental health? Yeah, that's a big question. There are so many things that mental health affects and is affected by. Um, We like to kind of talk about it as a bi-directional relationship. So what really motivates, you know, the work of my colleagues and I and so many others in studying mental health among college students is just that it's a really important predictor of, of pretty much every outcome that anyone could care about from health to academic outcomes. And it is affected by so many things as well. So it's a really complicated and important area of study and of practice. A few of the factors that really kind of contribute to the overall state of student mental health, you know, from a public health perspective, often talk about risk and protective factors. So a few key risk factors, these are things that negatively affect mental health and student populations. The first I would mention would be financial stress. That is arguably the most salient negative predictor of student mental health. So students who are low income or experiencing financial stress in college, on average, have poor mental health outcomes. And I'll actually, I'll focus this answer, I think, on mutable factors. So another really important risk factor is, so discrimination is another really key risk factor. We could think about everything from, you know, microaggressions all the way towards, you know, more kind of violent forms of discrimination. That's, you know, another really important uh, risk factor for poor mental health among students. And there's a lot of policy implications in terms of how do we reduce students' experiences of discrimination and how I'll mention a few protective factors. So these are factors that positively affect student mental health or are associated with flourishing, thriving in college. And so one is sense of belonging. And this is a bit of a difficult concept to measure, but it essentially means that, you know, a student feels like they belong on their campus. In our Healthy Minds data, we measure it in a, a few different survey items. One is I see myself as a part of the campus community. So students who see themselves as a part of the campus community on average have better mental health outcomes. Another protective factor related, I think, to sense of belonging is peer relationships and connections. Having a sense of purpose, of course, I mean, that's not something that's unique to college student mental health, but in general, it's a really important protective factor for mental health. 
Another key protective factor is having an adult, in particular, a faculty member who is really supportive of you, who knows your name, who knows you as you know a, a person, really, not just a student in a classroom, but a, actually having a faculty member who, who cares about you as a person. That's a, a really important protective factor for students. Um, I'm happy to go into some of the other uh, risk and protective factors, but those are some of the, the key ones I wanted to mention and specifically wanted to highlight them because they're all mutable. They're all things that can be changed through policies, programs, and practices. And traditionally, what role could student health services on a campus play in student mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that the answer to this has really shifted in, in good ways in recent years and needs to continue to shift. So student health services is obviously, you know, the kind of what oversees the delivery of health services to students. And that often includes mental health services. There's differences in terms of uh, the integration of mental health services with health services across different institutions. But really what that the role of student health services is, I see as as shifting. It used to be that they were almost the sole entity that was responsible for student mental health. Now, as we've talked about in the past, and as, as folks can uh, see in our Healthy Minds data and in other sources of data, the prevalence rates of mental health problems in college student populations are just so high. You know, roughly 50 to 60 percent of students in our data are meeting criteria for one or more clinically significant mental health conditions. And when we're talking about proportions as high as, you know, half or more of student bodies, it's very unrealistic to think that the health system is going to be the only, you know, unit on campus that's going to be responsible for addressing this problem. We really need cross-campus collaborations from student health services to residential life, financial aid, student activities, athletics, even some entities that are not often thought about in these conversations like campus policing, and really think about student health services as being experts in the delivery of health services and maybe the starting point for a lot of the initiatives around student mental health and certainly you know, this, the place that students who need clinical treatment are accessing that at many campuses, but not the only entity on campus that is responsible for, for thinking about student mental health and for being involved in addressing these challenges. With this understanding, how does access to general health services support student mental health and their overall well-being? Yeah, so college is is unique in the sense that it is a time when access to health services tends to be even better than than it is in other settings or in other kind of life stages. So that's that's a really important opportunity. It's one of the reasons that higher education presents a unique opportunity for addressing mental health is that access is it's certainly still a barrier and we could talk about you know community colleges variations across institutions but writ large access to health services is better in college settings than it is in many non-college settings so having that access is a is a really important kind of gateway we know that health services on campus can often help to identify students who are experiencing mental health problems connect them to services 
um, that can be helpful for them. It's also, you know, an increasing awareness of things that I don't tend to like the the term wellness. I think it's maybe a little bit overused and now maybe overly kind of commercialized. But when we think about um, initiatives like mindfulness and meditation and, and exercise and sleep habits and eating and nutrition, oftentimes those health behaviors are under the purview of health services. And of course, those health behaviors really change a lot as students transition into college. There's a lot of newfound autonomy that students have and new opportunities for them to make decisions about, you know, when am I going to sleep? What am I eating? Um, exposure to new, you know, substances that they could potentially use or and so health services is a really key place for education and for the delivery of services. If a campus has limited student health services, how could this potentially impact a student's mental health? Yeah, um, so certainly there's a lot of variation across uh, institutional types in terms of the breadth of health services that are available at an institution. And at some institutions, there there really is very limited health services. This could impact uh, screening initiatives or other initiatives that are made at a population level to identify students who are struggling. If we're not identifying students, then, you know, we're limited in, in our ability to connect them to resources that could be helpful, not just treatment, but prevention resources as well. We know that physical and mental health, of course, are inextricably linked. And so for students to not be able to access health services, physical health services at their institution may also affect not only their physical health, but also their their mental health. I also want to make sure that I highlight that even campuses that have very limited student health services, we can think about, you know, community colleges as just one example, um, are still, many of them are really innovating in the space of providing mental health resources to students, thinking about kind of structural changes at, a, at an institutional level, again, getting back to those risk and protective factors. We could think about mental health initiatives as also encompassing things like policy changes, protective policies, things like name change policies for trans and non-binary students. That is likely to have a really positive impact on trans and non-binary students to, to be able to you know, change their name and indicate their preferred pronouns and that the impact of that on their well-being. So that's not, you know, dependent on having a health services in order to, to actually influence mental health outcomes for students. But certainly for campuses that don't have student health services, it's really important that there be partnerships with local community health centers. There's a, a number of different resources that can be leveraged in local communities and even nationally and, and web-based or, or mobile mental health apps uh, that, that can be delivered regardless of whether there's a student health service on campus. How have the impacts of COVID-19 and other changes to healthcare impacted student mental health? Certainly in terms of access to mental health services at the beginning of the pandemic. So in spring of 2020, we saw a lot of restrictions and some of that was due to students, you know, leaving a state where they were a student and traveling back to maybe their home state and, and not being able to continue to access mental health services because of 
different state policies. A lot of that was kind of smoothed out and, and has somewhat become obsolete as telemental health has continued to, to be a part of the campus mental health kind of menu of options. The impacts of COVID, uh, like I said, were initially making some new challenges in terms of accessing mental health services. Starting in the 2020-2021 academic year, we saw a lot of those barriers um, overcome and we saw the levels of service utilization return to roughly what they were in 2019. However, at the same time, we were seeing even more of an increase in prevalence. So the, the pace of increase in terms of symptom prevalence has far outpaced the increase in service utilization, and that's true, particularly throughout the pandemic as, as needs have continued to rise among students. But we really have seen a lot of innovation in terms of the delivery of services via telemental health, utilizing virtual mental health care, not as the only option, but as, again, a part of a, a menu of options that can be leveraged to provide care to students. Sarah, what else should we know about student health services and student mental health? I think one of the most important things for folks to be aware of is the barriers that do exist in terms of why students are not accessing mental health services. I think this surprises some people who, uh, who aren't in this field. So the, some of the key barriers, the reasons that students report not accessing mental health services when they're struggling, um, I think that that's a really interesting area that some folks might not be aware of. The most common reasons that students report are, I question how serious my needs are, I don't have time, I prefer to deal with issues on my own, and the problems will get better on their own. So those reasons, you know, really require a shift in our thinking in terms of how do we promote help seeking for a student who has a positive screen for major depression but says these problems are going to get better on their own or I just I don't have time um, and the field of behavioral economics is one we can look to for potential answers in this regard so behavioral economics is really about thinking about the cognitive biases that people hold and it seems that there's really a lack of urgency or a lack of inertia that surrounds the help seeking process a simplified way of thinking about it might even be to think about it as a form of procrastination that students are you know they're so busy and it's really hard to say today's the day I'm going to prioritize my mental health. I'm going to go and access services today in my very, very busy life. But behavioral economics would say that we really need to shift the default. We need to bring mental health services into students' daily lives, into their routine default experiences. And in higher education, we know that classroom learning environments, that is the place where we have the ability to reach every single student on campus. So if we can bring mental health resources, training, screening, awareness, um, prevention efforts into classroom environments, that is a really important way that we might be able to address the most common barriers that students report in terms of why they're not accessing services. Sarah, thank you for joining me today. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Be sure to follow, like, and subscribe to On Campus with CITI program to stay in the know. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might also be interested in CITI program's other podcasts on tech ethics and on research. You can listen to all of CITI program's podcasts 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming services. I also invite you to review our content offerings regularly as we are continually adding new courses and webinars that may be of interest to you. All of our content is available to you anytime through organizational and individual subscriptions. You may also be interested in CITI programs, understanding and addressing mental health on campus, opportunities and challenges in higher education webinar. Please visit the CITI program's website to learn more about all of our offerings.